Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. On today's episode, we will have on two Navy service women currently active and serving. Uh, they are from the Navy Talent Acquisition Group, it is Jade Reeves and Coral Rodriguez. We're going to talk all things NTAG. Uh, if you are interested in the Navy, uh, how to join the Navy, um, you know they just raised the uh, enlistment age to 41. So there's still hope for me. Uh, super excited by that. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, you know how they got involved in uh, recruitment. Uh, the difficulties of doing recruitment for the Navy, uh, what they have to do, how that how they get the word out about the Navy, all of the benefits that you get for serving with the Navy. Um, it's a really great conversation. I, I was really happy with it, and I hope that you will enjoy it as well. Uh, you can always uh, like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes every Monday. You can always reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Uh, also, uh, very soon, um, my wife and I will be having a child, so uh, I may be out for about a month. We'll have a little bit of a hiatus with the scuttlebutt, but we will be back uh, with new episodes uh, right after that. So thank you so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the show. Jade, Coral, I'm so excited to have you both a part of the Scuttlebutt joining us from NTAG. Uh, I'd love for us to go around the room and introduce yourselves. Jade, would you love to go first? Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Yes, of course. So uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Lieutenant Jade Reeves. I have been in the Navy 10 years as of last month. Um, so my journey into the Navy, I toured some schools with my sister. She was a, a year ahead of me in high school, and that's when I heard about ROTC and and how they can pay for college and and I became really interested because I also loved flying whenever we traveled anywhere I wanted to be able to um, I wanted to fly instead of drive so I uh, was interested in the, in the uh, naval aviator program and I realized that there was a way to become a pilot in the navy via ROTC so I um, started looking into scholarships to to um, join the program. And I happened upon, I also started looking into um, the uh, Naval Academy and the Air Force Academy. Um, I looked at all those different schools and I decided that the ROTC was best for me because I was able to have a, a somewhat normal college experience um, and then also um, have the Navy pay for my college tuition. So that's what I did. I went to the Ohio State University. Um, graduated with my biomedical engineering degree, and I was able to select pilot. And so then from there, I went to uh, Florida to start my student naval aviator training. Um, I graduated from college debt-free, 100%. So that was an amazing opportunity for me. Uh, and I'm really glad that I did that. So after that, I went to, like I said, I went to uh, flight school, um, did that for a couple of years, got my pilot's license, um, deployed as a pilot, um, came back from deployment and uh, decided that I needed to do something else in the Navy. So then I um, transitioned to human resources officer. <clears throat> from there, um, my this is actually my first command, my first tour as a human resources officer. I got here about four years ago. Um, I decided to do uh, NTAG, to go to NTAG Pittsburgh because it's close to my home state of Massachusetts, um, sort of. <laughs> um, our whole area is kind of really widespread. So I came to the most um, Eastern part of the area so that I could be close to, to Massachusetts. Um, and I've been here ever since working on recruiting and helping other people join the Navy, so. Well, I heard a little bit of the recruiter speak in there of like, got your you know, tuition paid for. Uh, we'll get into all right. that soon. Uh, Coral, also wonderful to have you join us here on the Scuttlebutt. Please introduce yourself. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, so my story is a, a little different um, than LT. I wish I would have done it early on like that. Um, so I'm actually a reservist. So I know you were talking about um, recruiter lingo. So we'll kind of talk about that a little bit too, the difference. But I joined a little later in life. Um, I spent my 27th birthday in boot camp. So I kind of graduated high school, did the adult thing, you know, got in debt, <laughs> figured out what to do with life. Um, and I actually used to live in Pittsburgh um, years ago. And at the time I was a flight attendant. Um, and I had got married, did all that. And I would move to Hawaii. So when I was in Hawaii, um, that's kind of was like my come to Jesus moment was like, I was living in a place um, that was had a big military presence. 
and of course the Navy was really big. We have Pearl Harbor out there. Um, being married at the time, it was kind of like, I don't want to go active and uproot my family. And then, so I went reserves and I kind of didn't really appreciate it at the time. I kind of was just like, Oh, reserves. It kind of felt like a, like an ultimatum. Like you can be in the military, but you can't go full time. Um, so I joined and I have loved it ever since. Um, uh, being a reservist, I've got to travel a lot. Um, before that, I've been in medical field, usually hospice, admin, billing and coding, that type of stuff. But then I joined the reserves and I did uh, police, MA, Master at Arms. That's that's my job now. Um, and I love it. Uh, I love the flexibility I have. I love that I get to kind of pick and choose where I want to live. Um, but I did two years in the Middle East. I was overseas and I got so used to that money. I loved being kind of active in a sense. I loved my first and 15th paycheck. I loved my benefits. So it was about time for me to come off orders. And I was like, do I want to go back to Hawaii and do the civilian thing? Or do I want to see what's out there? So as a reservist, I went into this portal and they were like, hey, we need recruiters. And an option was Pittsburgh. And I was like, okay, I used to live there before, have friends, kind of know the area. Wasn't too excited about the weather. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, <laughs> None of us are. <laughs> I did, but that's kind of how I got on these recruiting orders was because I just kind of wanted to keep staying in that military atmosphere. I had, I had grown to love it, um, being overseas for the two years and then kind of doing that active time. Um, and I've, it's been a journey so far, but I've learned a lot, um, and I do enjoy what I do so far. So that's kind of how I got here and how I got into the Navy and the journey so far. That's excellent. And, and what's awesome is that you both come from such very different reasons for, for military. That's a great way to, when someone walks in the door to say, it doesn't matter necessarily, you know, where you're from or what you're doing. There's, there's potentially a spot for you here. Um, uh, so I guess my first question and, and, you know, for audiences who may just be finding the scuttlebutt for the first time, I'm a civilian, so I don't know much about the military. This is the reason of the whole podcast is understanding military culture is uh, what is NTAG? That's what we're here to talk about today. I don't, uh, I, I've, this is the first I've heard of it is Navy Talent Acquisition Group recruiting. Uh, but how did this uh, start? You know, where can I find one? Uh, you know, give me the sort of the, the, the skinny on it. Um, so I'll take this one since I've been in recruiting for about four years. So, um, the NTAG is a, a relatively new name for the for recruiting commands. Um, it used to be every single recruiting command used to be Navy Recruiting District, and then um, the headquarters would be the main name of the city. So for us, it would, it's Pittsburgh because that's where our headquarters are. Um, and then recruiting went through a whole transformation, um, including how many different commands, where were they located, um, and uh, the different the structure within the command people's jobs and the commands, all that stuff. And so uh, they decided on the name Navy Talent Acquisition Group because we are um, sourcing talent um, from the civilian communities. Um, and we kept obviously the, the cities as part of it. So you'll hear um, NTAG Ohio River Valley, um, NTAG Jacksonville. And so that basically tells you where the uh, main headquarters is for, for that recruiting district. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, we wanted to project to the <clears throat> we wanted to project to the civilian world that we are looking for talent. We're looking for people that have great skills, um, well trained, well educated, and that can join the Navy um, and right off the bat uh, have a, have a lot to give to the Navy, um, which I think was the main purpose for for changing the name um, to to make sure that they it was more clear what we're looking for when we're asking people to to serve their country how do you find this talent most people maybe not just walk in the door so you have to do outreach just like doing the podcast um is it is it just that simple going out to high schools and going out to colleges and and talking up the navy i wouldn't say it's simple <laughs> but i would say that that is uh, our bread and butter that is a lot mm -hmm. of what we do um we uh recruiting actually looks out and, and, and tries to find people from all walks of life, um, all ages, um, all education backgrounds, all diversities. Um, and, and so that requires us to be in a lot of different places and to work with a lot of different institutions. So um, our main um, source is going to be schools. So high schools and colleges, 
vocational schools, um, any, any kind of school, you name it. Um, we want the education that you're getting to benefit us and to benefit you because we can also forward your education. Um, but I mean, we can grab anyone from anywhere. I mean, like you said, we have walk-ins that come in the door and it's like, I knew this was a recruiting facility and I, I'm interested. Um, veterans are a huge market because they like they tell the, their, their relatives about um, their service and um, how great the Navy was for them. And so whether they're grandparents or parents, um, their kids are in the know about um, their, their relatives' military history. Um, we also go out to the public. We go to public events. So parades. Um, we have a, what we call, we work with our community salutes, which is basically where they, they make ceremonies for personnel that are joining the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they make it a point to congratulate them for making the choice to, to, to serve. Um, we go to malls. I mean, we try every single avenue because like I said, we want all walks of life. We want the Navy's, uh, Navy's sailors to represent the country. So um, we will take and we will look for people from anywhere. You know, it's been a minute since I've been a teenager, but do teenagers still hang out at malls? <laughs> I'm going to have Pearl answer that question. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, like man was saying, um, I would say because, you know, generation changes, a lot of things is social media. You know, you got everything now. You got Instagram, you got Facebook. You kind of got to meet them where they're at too, whether it be high school, could be events, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, we're still cool too. We go to concerts, you know, we hang out and, you know, you, you can meet a person anywhere. You never know their story, their background. Um, so definitely social media is a big one too. Um, and kind of just going out and talking to the public, you know, you never know whether we're in uniform, not uniform, whether you're at Walmart, you know, whether you're at Target, Starbucks, you know, kind of just striking that conversation with people is kind of what gets that interest going for them. It's a great point. And I'm writing notes furiously because a lot of the points that you're bringing up, I want to get to. First one being is, do either of you come from a military family or did you join because of the situations that you found yourselves in? My father was Army. Okay. What did he think about you going Navy? Um, So at the time, um, we had kind of, so I'm an only child, you know, so that kind of tears into kind of that military um, lifestyle for me, kind of wanting that family aspect. Um, But I'm an only child, came from a single parent. So that was kind of around the time of learning dad and learning who he is. Um, mm-hmm. I think for Mark, my interest more, um, he was in the army. He was in Iraq. Um, he was definitely in the war. He was in the war. You know, he has a metal plate in his, in his hand. His Humvee was blown up. So hearing those stories for me kind of had my interest, but it kind of had me go a different realm. Um, being a single, single uh, child from my mom, a female, she was like, are you sure you want to go army? You know, are you sure that's what you want to do? Hearing the stories from your dad. Um, so definitely supportive family, kind of just, that's probably what took me a little longer to, to join a life to kind of figure out, is this really what I want to do? Is, is the army what I want to do? The Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, kind of getting that education. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely support, my, my family definitely supported it, whether it would have been 18 or 26 when I finally decided to do it. <laughs> Jade? So uh, for me, I, I did have a lot of, um, like my dad was army, um, his brother was army, my mom's brother um, served in the Navy. But honestly, I didn't really know that. Um, growing up, they didn't mention a lot it a lot of the time. So mm-hmm. um, my decision to join was was my really my interest in wanting to fly and not mm-hmm. having to pay the expensive schooling just to get your license um, to fly. That's right. it's not cheap <laughs> um, to get your civilian pilot's license. Um, and so when I decided to join, my parents were like 100% like, we have, we support you. We have no um, reticence in, in letting you join. Um, you're, you're living your life. It's your decision. And, and on top of that, you're going to graduate debt-free hundred percent. Let's do it. So, um, and then the reason I chose Navy specifically was because, cause I had, I had applied to the Naval Academy as well as the Air Force Academy. Um, I had ruled out Army and Marine Corps. Cause I just, I felt like those services didn't fit where I wanted to be. I, I honestly hadn't even considered Coast Guard. I didn't know that was a thing until I joined the Navy afterwards. Um, <clears throat> but the main reason I went with Navy is because I figured that if I didn't get the pilot slot that I wanted, then I at least had the opportunity to be deployed on a ship. And I was adamant against having an office job, like a regular nine to five. I didn't want that. And so I was like, well, if I join the Navy 
and I don't get pilot, then maybe I can go on a ship and that would be a, a very unique experience that I can't get anywhere else. Very true. What was the best advice, Jay, that you received from your parents in joining uh, joining the military? Um, if you need to think about it, we'll go to Coral. Same question. So when, when I finally did join, um, I was kind of a little older. So it wasn't a decision I made um, with parents involved. It was kind of um, at the time, like I said, I was married. Uh, um, so that, that home support there. Um, they, they were they were supportive again. Mm-hmm. When you, I would say when you're with someone or um, a lot of it comes back to kids or families that don't know that um, military lifestyle, they're kind of like, oh, well, what's the reserves? What's active? Are you sure you want to do this? What's going to happen once you join? So uh, supportive, it was just a lot of questions like what happens next after you join? Where do you go? So definitely have the support, but it was a lot of questions. Like educate, educate yourself. <laughs> educate, yep, yep. Yeah. Jade? Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say there was any direct advice on my decision to join the Navy or the military. It was more um, just life advice, um, uh, making sure that I was like fully aware of what I was doing what I, when I decided to join and um, making sure that I took into account everything that I wanted to accomplish and make sure that those two things mesh together. I, I just I, the reason why I ask that question mainly is because I imagine that being a recruiter, you're kind you're you're giving advice to the person that's coming in. They're going to have a lot of questions. Um, you may not know which branch that they're interested in joining. You have to assume, I guess, that if they walk in the door, that they have some level of interest in joining the military. So it's about selling the Navy over the other branches, which I'm sure is is difficult in a lot of ways because somebody might come in with this bent on, I wanted to be Army, but boy, Navy seems pretty cool too. So how do you, how do you, when someone walks in the door, how do you engage with them and educate them and then sort of help to, uh, you know, give them that idea of like what their life will be like in the Navy to the point where they say, yeah, cool. I want to sign up. Um, you want me to, uh, trade trade secrets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I think for me, it's about that education piece. Like you said, Um, A lot of people can come in here, whether they're 17 or now we have the max age to be 42. So they could- There's still hope for me. Yes. There could be a misconception of, you know- You could be a PAO. Yeah. (laughs) I have an acting degree. What what can I do? (laughs) I guess you could be a public affairs officer. (laughs) There you go. I think initially the, the initial barrier is going to be like the misconception, like, well, I heard this, or I seen this, or I read online, or, you know, um, you know, my, my grandpa, you know, said it was this way, because this is how it was when they were in. So I think that initial barrier has to be broken up. No, that's not true. Let's get some facts out. And then you can really dive deep into kind of what each branch is and what branch do- each branch does, uh, what that looks like for them. Um, a lot of people come in and thinking like the army's every branch or the Marines is every branch, or the Navy's every branch. I mean, the main education piece that I just tell everyone from the get go is the Navy is a technical branch. Let's just start with that. We are not a combat branch. So when you put that in perspective for parents, that's usually like eases them a lot like, oh, okay. So, so my son or daughter isn't going to automatically be an in infantry or my son or daughter isn't automatically going to be forced to go to combat, you know? Um, and then kind of just getting to them on what are they wanting to get out of the military in any branch? Is it education? Is it travel? Is it no 17 year old really cares about healthcare, but is it healthcare? Um, <laughs> to the root of what is the reason for even wanting to join? And then, of course, you know, you, you have to be realistic too. I'm not going to sell them or not even sell them or educate them on a paycheck, right? It's kind of they think like if they go to the Marines and they're an E1 or they go to the Navy, they're E1, we all get paid the same. Our pay is the same. Our insurance is the same. Our healthcare benefits is the same. The GI Bill is the same. So when you kind of bring that to them, you kind of educate them like, oh, okay, so whether I go to the Navy or the Marines, I'm not getting more money in a sense. I'm not getting um, anything different as far as a college benefit. Of course, they do like, uh, ma'am didn't do like the NROTC scholarship, then that would be a, a different benefit for them. But then you kind of have to get to the root of that. What do you want to do? Where do you see yourself? Why are you wanting to do this? Are you wanting to do it for serving your country? Are you wanting to do it kind of just to get out and make friends? And when you can kind of relate to them, then you can kind of touch them like, hey, the Navy is good for you for that. We have the best deployment options. We have the best travel locations. If you think about the Navy, what does the Navy need? Water, you know? So unless you do get, there are a couple locations. I'm not going to say, hey, you won't be based on land or, hey, you're going to be based in Missouri. But majority of our bases need water, you Mm -hmm. know? So we have a bad location to go to if you think about it in that aspect and 
a lot of the people that I talked to in Pennsylvania, they've only been to, to their little town. They've never, there was a female I had that got in um, from, I think like Mount Lebanon area or, or where um, I live. Yeah. Or North for Sally, some, something like that. She'd never even been to Mount Washington, you know? So before she shipped out for boot camp, I'm I'm like those small details for, for people. It's like, do you want to just travel a hundred (laughs) miles? We can get you a hundred miles out of here, you know? So I really having that conversation and figuring out why they even want to be in the military to begin with is kind of how you can um, get them a little bit more invested in the Navy. Interesting. Yeah, I will say that when I when I, whenever people hear that I'm in the military, they're like, "Oh, um, you're in the army? How is that?" Like everyone just thinks army is all of the DOD, all of the, the Department of Defense, and so um, it definitely there is some education when it, when someone walks in and doesn't have any knowledge about the military. Um, and and one of the things that Coral was saying, like. That's another thing that I forgot is why I wanted to join the Navy over any other services, because I was like, if I join the Navy, I am guaranteed to be stationed next to the ocean. And I love being on the, on the coast. Like that is my, that's where I grew up on the coast. Um, and, and more importantly, I can like move to California and get paid for it. So mm-hmm. um, it definitely takes up some education and, and every recruiter is trained to get to know the person that they are, that is sitting in front of them. You can't get them hooked on the Navy if you don't know why they're joining the Navy. Um, And you're supposed to relate to that person. And if you feel like you're not able to relate to that person because where they, what they want from the Navy is not the same as why you joined. That's why we have a whole bunch of um, fleet sailors that come here to recruiting because you can get um, the perspective of a hundred different jobs um, just by a matter of a phone call and being like, well, you know what? I join the Navy for different reasons. I can't exactly talk to you about what it's like to be a YN in the Navy or to be, um, uh, what's another rate? MA. <laughs> An MA in the Navy. So, but I, you know what? I do have a great friend um, that I have on, I can just give a call real quick and they can give you all the, all the rundown about what that date, that job entails on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. um, recruiters make it a point to ask questions ask 100 questions like you need to know why that person walked in your door today or why they called you or why they even expressed any interest um and so that you can get them where they want to be in the naval service and so that when they decide to join they love their job and the other part of it is we have fleet sailors that come to recruiting so that you can get that broad perspective um and Every, there's different people that you know immediately as a recruiter that you can call up and, and have them talk to that person that seems to be interested in a specific job. There are some people that are what we call scope locked on, on, a, on a specific job that they want. Like they came in the door and they're like, all I want is MA. I don't want anything else. And you just have to make sure to speak with them about the entire Navy because it's not going to be guaranteed that you get the job that you want, but it's not the only job that could offer what you're looking for like you with being wanting to be a pilot right right um and i imagine that being a a a recruiter um as you said earlier it's not it's not simple you have to have a particular talent and skills to be able to relate to people educate people um you know and and you know a passion to want to see them through their career because you're not there just as an assignment you know Uh, this is something that i'm sure means something to you and being a, a active service woman and 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 uh, ingrained in the military, you know so much about it. So it's good for them to when they come in to see a, a face that is seasoned. You know, not someone maybe that, that uh, you know just got their feet wet and start still learning the ropes of it all. Right. Right. Exactly. That's that's the whole basis behind the recruiting community um, is is to get everyone's opinion and have have um, people that have been stationed all over the country, all over the world. Uh, to come in and provide that experience and say firsthand, I this was my life, and this is exactly what you're looking for. Um, speaking specifically to numbers, if you look at like headlines, we see like military numbers, like recruiting is a bit down right now. How do you uh, how do you push through that? I understand there's probably numbers that you have to reach, and you know there's there's ways that you can you know accomplish that goal and that mission. Um, but how how during a downturn do you continue to uh, provide uh, interest in joining the military? 
Well, I can say that um, we, we try and make sure that we have the connections that we have made are strong and remain strong. Mm-hmm. So um, when I said that our, the schools are the bread and butter, um, we make sure to have professional contacts at those schools so that we can continue our relationship and make sure that we have a, a, a constant basis, um, even when we're faced with uh, a changing economy um, and a changing uh, world when it comes to job market. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, priority number one, is making sure that we have a good foundation when it comes to being in the schools and, and professional contacts. The other thing that we've been trying to do is, is making sure the Navy's name is out there. Um, mm-hmm. We have always had advertisement past, um, but sometimes we have to change up what we've been doing when it comes to advertising the Navy. Um, the old ways of advertising the Navy aren't um, always going to work, so we're just trying to continue to think outside the box and be creative and and make sure that everyone is aware of all of the things that the Navy can offer. There's a lot of misconceptions, um, mm-hmm. that, like we talked about earlier, and the earlier that we can we can break those barriers, um, the more people we can have coming in um, when it comes to defeating the difficulty um, in terms of getting people to join. In that same thought is, what do you find when someone comes in who may not be yet like you know, maybe they're 50-50 on wanting to join the military. What do you find to be their biggest um, uh, uh, caveat uh, about joining the military? They're like, well, I kind of want to, but I also necessarily don't. Uh, And how do you sort of um, bring them uh, to 100%? I'll I'll say for me personally, um, which is totally just like blast this over a podcast, you do not have to be Michael Phelps to be in the Navy. One of the biggest <laughs> things, someone is like, I don't want to be in the Navy. I don't know how to swim. And I'm yeah. like, you don't have to be like an Olympic swimmer to be in the Navy. <laughs> so sometimes, well, you know, I'm afraid of the water. You know, if you think about it, you shouldn't be in the water in the Navy unless you're like a SEAL or a diver. Like your normal job is not going to be like swimming in the water, you know? So kind of, again, it just goes back to that education. Um, mm-hmm. It really does. Because if they're usually 50-50, there's usually something stopping them like, hey, I want to be in the military, but I don't want to be in the Navy because I don't know how to swim. Or I don't want to be in the Navy because I don't want to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and again, it's like, well, that's not true. Let me show you this. Or that's mm-hmm. not true. Or this is how it is. You got to kind of show them facts and prove it to them. Because at the end of the, like I said, at the end of the day, we live in a society where internet is like God. Dr. Mm-hmm. Google is the thing. You know, so I could tell them one thing and they're going to go online and search this. And then it's kind of like, okay, this is what this says. And this is what it's referencing, you know? So, so a lot of people that walk in now are kind of, they either know what they want to do or think they know what they want to do. And they really have no idea really what it is. And it's kind of just breaking it down to them and kind of like ma'am was saying, a lot of people might want to come in and be, we call it job locked, right? Like might want to only be an MA or only want to be an FBM or only want to be a CS or whatever job. And you have to have those hard conversations. Um, I'm pretty upfront, honest, and, and blunt with everyone. You know, you can want to be a doctor all day, but if you don't qualify for it, we might need to have some some come to Jesus moments and, and realize that. So when they come in the office, it's kind of figuring out what do you want to do, where you see yourself, and are you even qualified for that? You know, so there's tools we have, you know, practice test or eventually, you know, the actualized that that kind of can help gauge them to be like, maybe, maybe I, I can't do this job that I'm stuck on, but I can do this other thing, right. you know, or I didn't even know the Navy had that job, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know I could do that, you know, so, so it's really just having that conversation, like ma'am said, and asking a lot of questions to really figure out why they're 50, 50 on the fence to even begin with. Totally. And, you know, something I never really thought of is here at VBC, a lot of what we're trying to do is, is bridging military civilian divide. Uh, we do that through mainly veterans telling their stories, the stories of their service. Uh, but really, the both of you are, are on the front line of this because, you know, the people that are coming in are civilian like me, but with way less experience in understanding military culture. Uh, but you're bridging that divide by educating them about what the what the Navy can offer and what the military is. And, and also in a lot of ways playing the long game because you may have to uh, see them multiple times, I'm, I'm assuming, before they're yeah. like, yeah, this is what I want to do. But also, I think the great thing about that, sorry, about the education of that is that they're going to walk out the door with more knowledge than they had coming in. So they're going to be able to talk to their friends about like, yeah, you told me that thing about the Navy. That's not right. The recruiter said this, and this is what it actually is. Like, you know, that, that, you know, is, uh, you know, a really wonderful thing. 
And we encourage, like, if someone comes in the door, we encourage them to bring in their friends, bring in their parents, bring in their girlfriend, boyfriend, their, any influencer that they have in their lives. Because one, it allows us to help that one person that came in, um, like, show their family what they're signing up for. So there's no um, second, second guessing or, or people telling them things that um, are different from what the Navy actually offers. Um, so that we can get everyone on board and there's no contention about, well, my parents don't want me to join or my girlfriend doesn't want me to join, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also allows us to educate more people about what the Navy does. The more people that come in and sit down and talk with us, um, the more they can spread it around and say, you know, my daughter um, decided to go talk to a recruiter the other day and you know, we found out like all these things that the Navy offers that we had no idea, like we can pay for education. They could join the Navy and still be going to college and, and all those things. If you were to speak to what is the most difficult thing about being a part of the military? Was it basic? Was it sort of the, the life altering change that maybe you didn't expect as a young person? Is there something that sort of was like unexpected whenever you joined that you were like, whoa, that, that was tougher than I expected. I, I would say for me, it's um, even though you, know that you're gonna you're probably gonna be at a location for two to three years and then move um it's always still um a huge evolution and i i'm a single person i don't even have (laughs) like kids or, or or a spouse to worry about when it comes to the move um and i think that that part is is just always even though i know it's gonna happen it's just always stressful for me because um it's, it's always a huge change and you're, you're going to a new job. Every time you change stations, um, for the most part, as an officer, you're going to be doing a completely new job because they want you to be well-rounded. And so you're, you have to go back to learning everything about your job all over again, every single time. Um, in addition to actually moving and finding housing and, and all that other stuff. And there are definitely, um, procedures in place to, to minimize that stress. Um, but it's always going to be there. And there may be situations where um, you're not able to take advantage of those things because of uh, last minute orders and things like that. But I would say just moving from command to command each time is, is probably the hardest part for me. Um, and it's different every single time. And you could say the other side of that coin is that you get more experience, you get uh, more on the job training, you get more skills, you know, right. you see a new place, you know, uh, I've seen my house for the last two and a half years, and I'd love to see someone else's house. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then you make new connections with new friends mm-hmm. in every state. Like I have lived in about five states now, and I still know people all over the country. So. Coral, what would you say was sort of the thing that you weren't expecting to be the most difficult when you joined? Um, I would say, again, um, maybe we'll kind of touch on this too, like in, enlisted, reserves, officer, different realms that we have. Um, so like I said, I'm a reservist, you know, so for me, I just kind of joined, picked a job, go to boot camp, you know, one week in a month, two weeks of the summer type, type gig. I think for me, I would say probably because I, I came in a little older, it was boot camp, but not boot camp physically. I would say boot camp mentally due to, um, being around different different age groups in a sense, the younger younger kids. I was in boot camp with 17, 18, 19, 21 year olds. Um, for me, being away from home was not an issue. So I think being in an atmosphere where I had to to be, um, I mean, I was kind of forced. You know, I was I was in there voluntarily, of course. But that was the first time I had to to deal with. Um, so many other personalities in a sense that were that were adjusting to real life experiences because for yeah. me oh 10 weeks that's easy you know oh I can't talk to my mom I can't talk to my boyfriend so it was kind of like being a support system for them like hey it's gonna be okay you know you're gonna get through boot camp physically you know that that wasn't a demand um so I would say kind of that that mental toughness kind of gets into play at boot camp for me so mm-hmm. that that that's what it was I would say for me was was the uh, adjustment in civilian to military lifestyle just straight like that being thrown into it i think those are good because i feel like when someone comes in to to ask about joining the navy they might want to know the all of it the warts and all like you know give me the the real the real talk of this because you know (laughs) when i when i hit boot camp you know it's not all peaches and roses at that point it's real like they're they're expecting you to you know hit 
hit your milestones and be ready for this job because it's it's a serious job. You can't can't goof off while you're on station. Well, that's um, the good thing is when when somebody finally someone finally decides to make the decision to join, um, we have programs um, that allow them to continue their naval education while they're waiting to actually go to boot camp. So on the enlisted side, we have the delayed enlistment program. Um, and then on the um, officer side, we have the collegiate onboarding program. And basically, it's not like you decide to make the decision to join and then you just sit at home and wait to, to go to, to boot camp or to officer candidate school. Um, we stay engaged. So once you make that decision and you raise your hand, yes, I want to serve. Okay, that's when your Navy education starts. Like this is what you can expect when you go to boot camp or when you go to OCS. Um, you need to learn these uh, things. And if you get, if you learn all this stuff before you get there, you'll be ahead of the game because you're going to need to learn this while you're there. And if you already know it, um, then you're better for it because then you're not also waking up at, at early morning and then having to memorize all these things and have these long days. And um, so we, we teach them about uh, Navy tradition. We teach them about rank and, and um, and jobs in the Navy. We teach them about um, just uh, military bearing. Um, we, we have them work out and do safe and um, workouts that will allow them to progress and get more to where they will be when they go to OCS or, where, or when they go to boot camp. Um, and then we also educate them more about the benefits. So uh, while we briefly touch about the benefits when you're looking, you're sitting in front of the recruiter and thinking about joining, um, you, this is our opportunity like, hey, remember when I mentioned that you can get tuition assistance? Well, this is exactly what that program is. Or remember when I told you that you get a consistent paycheck and it's based off of this pay scale? Well, let's go in depth about what that pay scale looks like, how quickly you can expect to promote, um, and how, how you have a consistent paycheck. You will never go without getting your pay, um, all those kind of things. And so we take the opportunity to, to continue to teach them before they actually go to boot camp. So um, they're not going in there completely blind. Uh, with our, our final bit of time here, let's talk, you know, uh, somebody finds this podcast, watches it through, they wanna know about benefits. They wanna know about jobs that may be available or, or money. Um, you know, as, as uh, two professional recruiters here, what what can they, what should they know? Uh, you know, expecting that that might be one of the top questions on their mind is, you know, well, what jobs are available and what benefits do I receive? And you know, tuition. What you know, how can I get that? Um, is there a is there a pamphlet that that sort of gets all this down to the nitty gritty for them? Um, of course, there's resources, there's pamphlets and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. Ideally. That, that's what we're doing in recruiting, right? We're, we're educating them. So ideally, if we do have someone that does have any type of interest, um, we do even make sure they're qualified first. I mean, um, there is- How, it, if you don't mind me interrupting, sorry, how do you uh, find out if they're qualified? Is it just ASVAB or is it like, you know? There are some, there are some you know, questions that we might ask from the beginning just mm -hmm. to make sure that, that it's an even good fit for them. Um, you have to realize, you know, not everyone might be want to serve their country, but some people aren't qualified, whether it be physically, whether it be mentally, whether it um, be something that might disqualify them. So before you kind of just um, tell someone, hey, you can be in the Navy, you kind of need to make sure that they're even kind of eligible a little bit. Um, there are certain things that we won't know until they do go down to process, but there are some things that we can kind of gauge to see if they would even maybe be a good fit, whether it be a criminal disqualification of some sort, whether it be um, maybe they have only three fingers, you know, and one toe, you know, something like that. We're going to ask those questions before we even get into the, to the nitty gritty of the Navy, but yeah. ideally we want to bring them in or even go to their house, meet them at a Starbucks and have that question. Um, when it comes to, to jobs, like ma'am was saying, we don't really want to ever be like, hey, you can be this or you can be that. Because again, there are certain things that may disqualify them. Maybe their vision, maybe their mm -hmm. hearing, um, maybe the score, the ASVAB score. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to benefits, we're, we'll definitely tell them, you know, about pay and, you know, college benefits. And we even have the loan repayment plan, um, you know, for, for people that have earned a lot of debt, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the age requirement, we're up to 42. Um, so there's, there's certain conversations we will have initially off the bat, but some conversations won't be had until we kind of can gauge if they're even qualified a little bit in a sense to kind of weed out 
you know, if we're not wasting their time, they're not wasting ours in a sense too, because we want to make sure it's beneficial for both parties at the end of the day. So really not everybody, have you ever had someone come in that is just really passionate about something, but they're not qualified to serve? What, how, what do you tell them? I mean, there's going to be a reason why, whether it could be they fully went through the process of going to MEPS and they're not qualified, or we identified maybe early on before we even got to that process. Mm -hmm. But people like that, that do have that passion, desire to serve, it's going to be like ma'am said, we want to keep them as um, in our corner. We still want to have them spread the Navy awareness as well, because mm -hmm. as long as they have a good interaction with a recruiter in that station, we want them to always leave and be like, hey, I couldn't join because my genetic makeup, you know, I can't fix that. I can't fix your DNA, right? But what I can fix is maybe, hey, you can spread the word for us. Like, hey, she was a great recruiter. She can get you in the Navy pending qualifications. We don't want to just kick them out and be like, oh, you're not qualified. See you later. You know, we, we want to possibly keep them as someone help us spread that that Navy awareness in the community as well. Because if they have a desire, I guarantee they're probably having that conversation with someone else that had a desire. And it's just going to keep keep spreading. It's going to keep hopefully being a positive trickling effect of spreading. And there's also the, the people Navy. that are only temporarily disqualified. So okay. um, you may need to do some work to get uh, back into physical condition in order for you to apply. Um, you may not have the academics um, for right now. So if you're applying for an officer program and your, your grades are a little bit lower than it, what makes you eligible, you still have um, some, most of them are still in school. So they have time to um, make their GPA higher. And so then they can come and come back and talk to us after another semester. Um, they worked uh, really hard and, and brought up their GPA, something like that. Um, <clears throat> and then there's also, uh, some people come too early. So um, for college programs, um, they come as a freshman or sophomore. It's, a, it's great that they're getting the education now, but we have to wait until they do a few more um, semesters in school before we can actually have them start the application process. Um, so I would, I would say, so I, I deal mainly with officer recruitment. And so um, we're looking for people that are, are, are currently in college or that um, have graduated from college and are already in their field and are looking to add that field and their experience um, in the Navy. So we have what we call general officer programs. So that could be a supply officer, that could be a pilot, that could be a surface warfare officer, a public affairs officer, um, aviation maintenance officer. Um, and then you also have the medical field. So we have the dental corps, the medical corps, uh, medical service corps, and we have the nurse corps. And so literally any civilian job that there is, there is an officer equivalent. Um, and as long as you have the educational background to back that up, or if you're currently getting that education, um, then we 100% can talk to you about joining the Navy. And then I also, I don't know how I forgot to mention this, but nuclear officer. <laughs> so um, if you're an engineer and you're interested in, in joining the Navy, um, we have uh, our biggest program is a nuclear officer program, and that's mainly because um, the Navy is powered by nuclear, um, it's, that's our base for nuclear power is for all our ships, um, et cetera. So um, we're always looking for nuclear engineers to join the Navy, and you don't have to be an, in school for being a nuclear engineer. Like if you're an electrical engineer, a mechanical engineer, a chemical engineer, um, we can 100% have you apply for the NUPOC program. And there's a lot of incentives to like, huge bonuses for people that want to join the nuclear engineering program. Um, but then if you're also someone like me, a biomedical engineer um, or a biochemist, like we have medical, we call medical service corps programs that you can help do research um, with the Navy that'll also benefit um, the world in general. So yeah. Um, switching gears just a bit here mentioned a bit before we started recording that Julia Parsons is a part of the BBC network. She was a Navy wave back in World War II, helped decode Enigma. So thinking of the strong lineage of women who have served in the Navy, uh, what does it mean to both of you to serve in the Navy? And whenever you see a young young girl, young woman come into the, the recruiting office, uh, you know, passing that baton on to them and getting them to, to sign up for the Navy, is there something that uh, is about, you know, that this means more than just, you know, just serving? Um, so I'll speak for me. So um, I would say when it speaks, uh, when it comes to other females, you know, like that are joining um, it, I have, I have a female now. She's like, like the, the, the pain you wish you didn't have, but you got to love it. You know, <laughs> <Because> <laughs> so 
passionate about wanting things, but she sees that direction, right? So when I see younger females getting in that seem like lost in the sauce, they know they want to do something, but they need that direction. And I'm just like, I can't wait to see you in five years. I can't wait to see you in six years. I can't wait to see what your path holds, whether that be you choose to do your, your first contract and get out or whether it be you choose to do 20 years and make it a, a life. Um, for me, you're really doing this to help people, right? You're not doing this because, um, oh, I, I got to meet a number or like you said, or, oh, I got to sit in the office all day and do this. You have to be passionate about helping people because if not, then it, it's not going to be reflective to to the people that you're talking to and in very least the community, they're not going to want you to be a source for them. Right. Um, able to get anybody in the Navy is, is amazing, but definitely females being a female myself, there's always a stigma, you know, you just have to be real with it. I'm, I'm in a, and usually a male dominated rate, you know, you think police mastered arms, that's my job. So um, being able to just do that and do it at the same standards as a male to prove that uh, being able, when I walk around, you know, when I go into schools, when I go out in public, like, Oh my God, that female's so pretty. She can have laughs. Can have her nails done i do nails lashes hair everything you can color your hair you can you know have highlights i think for me it's being able to show any female you know that's eligible to join or that's not eligible to join that you can still be yourself and still be in the military that hasn't taken anything from me if anything it's amplified it it's given me a path for a successful career it's given me a way to um you know put roots down somewhere it's been able to give you know, at my age, like peace of mind, like, oh, I have a good retirement coming, got good health care, you know, for a 17 year old, that's not important. But for me being in the military, it's so important because I've set myself up for success down the line. And I've been a, a, something for other females to see, like, I can do that. I can be her. I want to be like her. Of course, males are going to want to be in it all day, um, but they have a different reason for joining. Usually it's a female because they attach to another female that they've seen. So if while I'm here in Pittsburgh, if I can be the reason why another female, you know, is like, I want to do that, that bad, that bad a job, you know, that, that she's doing, I want to work with guns, or I want to be a nuclear engineer, like man was saying that the, 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 the jobs are endless for them, you know, and I don't want them to feel like, oh, just because I'm a female, I have to be in this little box. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's what society usually says, they can be nurses, they can be, you know, we have HVAC and plumbing, they could be down in there laying concrete, just like the men as well. You know, and on the weekend, still wearing a pretty pink dress and heels, you know, and, and all of that. So um, I think for me, it's more so just being that role model for other females to see that it's possible that they can do it as well. Um, I would say I think um, the barriers that I've seen for females wanting to join is one, um, are they going to see a lot of females in their profession? Um, two, are they going to have to sacrifice their femininity? And three, like, how am I going to be a mother and have families while I'm in the military? <clears throat> So the first thing I will say, I have been blessed that most of the commands that I've been to have, I've been surrounded by females. I have so many like uh, pilot friends. The ship that I was deployed on was at least, I want to say close to 50% female. Um, my captain of the ship was a female and she was phenomenal. She's amazing. Uh, my boss here, my executive officer, she's a female. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the leadership positions at this command have been or, or ha are currently female positions. So um, that is, it's no longer true to say that the Navy in general is a male dominated um, job. There are pockets where that may be true, or if you go on deployment, you're not deployed with your entire command, you're deployed with a small section, but um, you're gonna see females everywhere. Um, the other thing about um, not being able, uh, getting ready for femininity. Um, like MHU was saying, you can get your hair done. You don't have to cut off your hair. That's a misconception. You can put on makeup, you can get your nails done. Um, you can do whatever you wanna do. It's, all, it's really only about being professional. Um, and there's a whole bunch of uniforms that are out there that are for females specifically. You can wear skirts, you can wear heels, you can wear, um, you can have a purse. Um, people think that there's, there's the uniforms aren't made for females, but there are options. And then you could also have a family while you're in the Navy. Um, I know females that have like three and four kids and they're like commanders, <laughs> captains, so high ranking people in the Navy and they have, they have, they have it all. They're able to have families and they're also able to, to do their job and do their job well. And there's also programs that allow you to um, take time away from the Navy. I think it's about a year or 18 months where you can put your Navy career on a pause and you can take care of your family if you want to do that. Um, and then you can come back to the Navy like you were like that never happened. And like you're back where you started. Um, and like, it's not a bad thing. 
like you can you can do two things at once um and and it's phenomenal that you can have that pause and come back to the navy and it's it it doesn't look bad in any way shape or form so um that's what i would say to anyone that actually any female that wants to join both so incredibly well said um a lovely note to end on here um, well, thank you both for, for joining the scuttlebutt, uh, all links, uh, for contacting NTAG or even contacting Jade or Coral. Uh, if you have questions about the Navy, if you're interested, sure you both, uh, get, you know, people emailing and calling all day. Um, uh, so hopefully this, this, uh, brings an uptick. Uh, but thank you all for, for joining me here on the scuttlebutt and to our audience, please like share, subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. So you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes and you can always reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org. If you have any questions and I'd be happy to hand you off to Coral or Jade, uh, if you have more questions for them, um, thank you both for this really wonderful time. I feel like we covered a lot of ground and, uh, you know, I, I want to become a public affairs officer now. So you <laughs> sold me. Of course. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Definitely. And maybe we can have you back again for another episode of the Scuttlebutt next year. Uh, I'd love to, you know, catch up with you as you continue to, to grow in both your careers. Um, really interested to see where you both end up and continue to go. Yeah, we'd love to. Thanks for having us. Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank both of our sponsors, the first being DND Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. They began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s, but they've grown into a full-service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. DND accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any type of job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D. That's dandautosalvage.com. Uh, thank you so much to D&D. Uh, they've been a sponsor for quite some time, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, the second being Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and to getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health. So they want people to quit and they have classes and nicotine replacement therapy and a popular quit line, which is the easiest number to remember ever, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. Finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all of what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org, or you can watch our recent episode with Tobacco-Free Adagio Health on the Scuttlebutt, uh, where they talk about a lot of the programs that they offer for those who are looking to quit. Thank you to both of our sponsors for their continued support of the Scuttlebutt podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks.